Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 38. I'm your host, Bossed Up's founder and CEO, Emily Aries. And today on the pod, I want to talk about being nice. Being a nice little girl or growing up to become a nice woman. We all like to work with nice people. But when it comes to being nice ourselves to everyone all the time, that can be extremely exhausting, especially in a world that is really sensitive about women being in positions of power and authority and being assertive leaders. So often women are perceived as being bossy or aggressive when we're simply being assertive and acting like leaders. And I'm all about saying please and thank you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not even saying that little boys are completely off the hook either. I think how we raise our little girls and our little boys should both be to be polite and nice. But something seems to happen when we grow up and enter the workforce in which women are held to a higher standard of being nice that our male counterparts simply aren't. Having worked in politics myself, I know plenty of men who are highly respected, highly capable political operatives who are not nice. (laughs) We know that men can be assholes and still be respected in the workplace. Am I alone in that? I mean, I've seen it happen time and time again, sometimes as close as to the people I'm working with. At one point, I was managing a phone bank on a campaign and the campaign manager and assistant campaign manager were having a screaming match just down the hall in my opinion, acting kind of like children instead of professionals. And I had to go up to them and say, if you guys are going to fight, take it outside because you're scaring the volunteers, (laughs) right? We know that men can get away with hyper aggressive leadership and not being nice all the time without their professional reputations taking a hit. But imagine if that had been a woman campaign manager screaming her head off at an assistant campaign manager, male or female. I'm pretty sure that people would think she was a lunatic or start to question her professionalism and her capabilities. And there's data that backs this up, too. In a 2017 study published in the Journal of Human Resource Management, researchers found that being perceived as nice was an essential component to women being influential and seen as competent at work. So on top of being really good and competent at their jobs, in order to be seen as a power player at work, these researchers confirmed that being seen as nice was a huge factor in a way that being seen as nice for men wasn't so important. But it's almost like we don't even need that piece of research to back up this experience because I see it happen every day. Men who are jerks at work but good at their job are still respected as competent power players in a way that women who are jerks but good at their job simply aren't. And that's something I want to dive in deeper as I interview a total power player today on the podcast, 
as we continue this month's theme of talking with women who are crafting careers with passion and purpose in the public and nonprofit sector. But no matter your specific industry, today's listener-submitted career conundrum is all too relatable. Take a listen right after this quick break and a word from our sponsor. Do you work in the nonprofit sector but want to run your organization more like a business? Well, Social Impact 360 is offering a new course specifically for nonprofit professionals to affordably apply business skills and methodologies to their daily work. You'll become more efficient, effective, and focused on continuous improvement in the services you provide. Save $50 off your registration with code BOSSEDUP at checkout at socialimpact360.org class. I am walking the line of being too aggressive slash not being loud enough. Why do I have to go through the hassle of saying kind words in order not to hurt someone else's ego? It's just really exhausting. Do you have any advice on that? My name is Christine Sizemore. I am calling from Washington State University. Go Cougs. Christine, I love that this is the show where you can call in with a voicemail like that. I have been saving your question to tackle with the right person because the minute I heard it, not only did I find it extremely relatable and exhausting, I feel you on how exhausting it can be, but I knew in that moment that the kind of woman I needed to interview to help me break this topic down had to be a woman in a legislative body, a woman in politics. Because as combative as our politics can be and as divisive as our country is right now, legislators, women in legislative bodies like state houses and the U.S. Congress, those are the folks who know a thing or two about herding cats, wrangling people with different backgrounds and getting them to get things done by finding common ground. And it takes a whole lot of being nice and being firm to make that happen. And that powerful legislator is here with me in studio today. I'm lucky to live in the state of Colorado, where we have elected the state's first ever Latina Speaker of the House who is the only current Latina Speaker of the House, and that is Speaker Cristanta Duran. Speaker Duran is a sixth-generation Coloradan who got her law degree at the University of Colorado and her undergraduate degree at the University of Denver. And she's been elected to the State House, serving on behalf of District 5 in Denver, which just so happens to be my district for the past eight years, which means she actually hit her term limit for the state of Colorado this year, and so she's not seeking re-election. Throughout her tenure in the State House, Speaker Duran has made it her mission to fight on behalf of working Coloradans and really pass the kind of legislation with broad-based support, I might add, that make the everyday lives of hardworking Coloradans a little bit easier. Governor Hickenlooper called this last session in the State House, which Speaker Duran presided over, one of the most productive in recent history. Speaker Duran made it her mission to pass legislation to really focus on infrastructure and economic development, which is part of the reason why Colorado and Denver in particular is such a booming hub of industry and expansion right now. And she's really presided over such an enormous period of growth for the city that I've been pleasantly a part of as a newcomer to the city myself, with respect for and consideration of the Coloradans who've been here for many, many generations, like the speaker herself. Speaker Duran, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, happy to be here. So I have a million and one questions on your take here on uh, Christine's conundrum, but why don't we start 
by unpacking how you got to where you are today. Tell me what brought you into politics in the first place. Well, I ran for office when I was 29 years old, and I was frustrated and probably a bit angry. I thought there were a lot of issues in my community that were not being made a priority at the state house. And at the time, I was the underdog in the race, and I truly believe that the way I won that first election was a power of people, um, grassroots efforts to go to people's doorsteps and talk to them about what I wanted to work on at the legislature and also listen to them about what they wanted to see in a leader that represented them. Um, it's been quite the journey to be able to serve in the legislature and ultimately become a Speaker of the House. And it definitely has been a labor of love for me. Uh, in Colorado, we have term limits. And so I have to pass over the gavel in January of 2019 to whoever is the next speaker. Um, I'm very proud of the work that we've been able to accomplish uh, to really put people first and to make sure that problem solving is our top priority, regardless of a community that one lives in, regardless of background. We need to work together to be able to move our state forward. I love that. And after eight incredible years in the state house, you've clearly done that. I love that from a very early age, it sounds to me, based on what I know about your background, like working people's issues were always at the forefront. Your father worked with the UFCW, big labor union. And I hear even as far back as your grandmother goes, right, working people's issues were at the forefront. And what do you think your grandmother would think of you today, seeing how far her granddaughter has gone and how much you've risen to power in this position in the state house? Well, my grandmother, Eva, I have so many fond memories of her um, growing up and traveling to Pueblo, Colorado during holidays and during the summer. And I learned so much from her. And I'm very proud of the legacy of coming from so many strong women in my past, my mother, um, my grandmother. And although neither one of them and many of the women um, that are part of my family, they never had the title Speaker of the House, but they definitely installed values in me to be able to believe that I could actually make a difference. And my grandmother, Eva, she passed away several years ago. She would never would have imagined that her granddaughter would have had the opportunity to go to college, go to law school, run for office, be an elected official, and ultimately to become the Speaker of the House. And that's because she only had a third grade education. She was the oldest daughter of lots of younger brothers and sisters. And so she was taken out of school by her parents to help care for all of her younger siblings. And I think about her so much because many of the times when I would travel to her home in Pueblo, um, we used to have great times together. And I used to love going into my grandmother's house because it was always spotless and she had such a great pride in being a wonderful mother, an incredible wife, and just a grandmother who provided so much to me and my sister and her other grandkids. But there were also times that I would go and visit her and I knew that she was embarrassed, that there were basic things that she could not do, that she would see other women that went to the church that she went to that were able to she wasn't able to drive. She wasn't able to read or write. 
And so as a young girl, when I realized that she was embarrassed, that she was able to do some of these basic things, I would bring her the very books that I learned how to read from. Mm. And I tried to teach her how to read on multiple occasions. And I remember one time my grandmother told me, she said, Yuhita, I'm just, I'm just too old. I'm too old to learn how to read and to, to do these things now. And that moment has stuck with me and it continues to stick with me as I've been able to serve in public office. Mm-hmm. I think everybody knows, and it's no secret, that politics um, can be a very challenging profession to be in these days. Uh, but even in the most challenging times, um, I think about so many of the women who came before me who never had the opportunities to be able to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish, not just for myself, but for the people who have elected me and voted me into this role. And I take that responsibility very seriously. I think for my grandmother, the things that I learned from her were lessons I could never learned in a school book. And it has given me strength throughout my career to be able to continue to advocate for people who who matter most and should be truly represented in our government. I love that. And it's a reminder of just how much can change in a few generations. And even though there are many challenges that women are still facing in the workplace and especially in male-dominated spaces like most of our political bodies, being nice or, or <laughs> having to say nice things to our colleagues, even when we think they might not warrant them, is a small price to pay in the grand scheme of things for the opportunity to have a career with such impact. Uh, And I'm sure that's not the answer that our wonderful caller is looking for, but it does put things in perspective, right? That just a few generations ago, we had smart, capable, incredible women who were not given the opportunity to even walk in the door. So your career path, it sounds like, started with a lot of education. What happened between graduating law school and running for office at 29? Yeah. So when I graduated from the University of Colorado School of Law, um, I decided that I wanted to go work for workers. And I work for grocery workers, um, healthcare employees, barbers, to advocate for good paying jobs, um, access to affordable and quality healthcare and retirement security and a pension that workers could actually rely on. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the best jobs that I have ever had, being able to advocate for so many economic security issues that impact hardworking Colorado families every single day across the state of Colorado. And then I was also working on a variety of different policy initiatives. And when I decided to run for office, There were some key issues that I felt like were not being made a priority by elected leaders at the state house. And I thought, you know, if they can do this job, then maybe I can do it too. And I decided to kick off a campaign uh, to be able to serve in the state house. And at the time, I was very much inspired by Barack Obama. You know, I think I remember being at a rally at the University of Denver in 2007, when I had the opportunity to introduce Caroline Kennedy, who had just endorsed Barack Obama um, to be the next president of the United States. And at that time, there were a lot of people who did not believe that he was going to 
be able to secure the nomination, but to know that there was somebody like him with his story and his belief and commitment to our country that was getting so much momentum. It was just such an inspiring time in my life to be able to meet him and Caroline Kennedy and spend time with where I think our country as a whole, it was an amazing time because there were so many people that were getting involved with the political process that had not done so before. And it was almost a feeling of, you know, we were advocating for values that, that were greater than all of us. Yeah. Greater for communities as a whole to be able to succeed. And I think that when Barack Obama became the nominee and then ultimately went on to become the president of the United States, it inspired me to believe that if a guy with the name Barack Obama could become president of the United States, then maybe a young woman with the name Crescenta Duran could also become a state house representative. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And someone listening to this is saying her own name right now, too. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And that's what we need. I mean, we need new leaders. We need people who are going to be in positions of power with the right values. And I think too often people put up their own barriers to achieving their full potential. And you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in your ability to be able to create change and to make a difference. And it's more important than ever that people be part of the political process, especially in a time when so many feel like so many of the values that we have and we cherish in this country are under attack. So I hope that people will think about that going into this upcoming election and maybe even consider running for office yourself. I love it. And I love this idea of 2008, that energy that you're bringing to mind. It was certainly the same Kool-Aid I was drinking and loving all throughout that time in my (laughs) life. I became a state director for then newly elected President Barack Obama. And one of the lessons that I took away from my experience there is politics doesn't actually have to be aggressive. There's this idea in organizing that we need agitation, which I completely understand. We need people to be agitated in order to inspire action. And there's a component to that, which is, yeah, we need to be pissed off in order to get fired up and ready to go sometimes. But the persistent hopefulness, the persistent optimism and belief in our core American values that were on display during the Obama election and rise to power, not that there weren't their challenging and and not so nice moments in there, but that that message of hope really felt palpably different than what we associate as being aggressive and that aggression being required in the world of politics. So I wonder, as a leader, as someone who's presiding over this motley crew that is the state (laughs) house, right? I always think of it as like a cafeteria in high school. You got got a lot of clicks. You got a lot of uh, egos to manage. How do you bring your power to bear in getting things done? And what's your take on the use of assertiveness and aggression? And how does that all shuffle out in in your sort of approach to leadership? Well, it can be a rowdy bunch at the Capitol sometimes. (laughs) I I think I broke two gavels this last (laughs) legislative (laughs) session. Wow. And, you know, we have 100 legislators that represent all communities in Colorado. 
It is diverse in terms of gender, race, age, people's political views. Um, I mean, it is a eclectic workplace, to say the least. And when I became Speaker of the House, and it was after Donald Trump had uh, got elected to be our next president, um, one of the things that I really set out to do is, in a time of such divisiveness, to focus in on the issues that bind us together than those that would separate us. Mm. And to make sure that regardless of background, that we continue to deliver results on the issues that matter most to Coloradans, like we have done in Colorado for years, that regardless of whether you are a Republican or Democrat, regardless of the area of the state that one lives, that we should focus on problem solving as our top priority. Mm. In these last two legislative sessions, I served as Speaker of the House. The governor has said that they are the most productive uh, since he has been governor. I couldn't agree more. I think that we were able to rise above some of the gridlock that has existed at the state house to really make sure that we were listening to the people of Colorado and delivered policy results on a variety of different issues. And I think that we need to continue to keep that and hold that as a priority of as we're looking at what Colorado is going to look like in the next decade, that we have problem solvers in office. Um, I think that that's one of the most important things that we can be advocating for at the local, state and at the federal level. I could not agree more. And it reminds me of Christine's question here, because problem solving is a really different approach than getting it right. I almost feel like our education system really conditions folks who do well in higher education, and those folks tend to be women, by the way, <laughs> to get the right answer. And that is paramount. And sometimes having the right answer isn't the most important thing. It's about how people feel along the way and how collaborative you are in arriving at a solution, especially in our highly social workplaces. Very few of us have the kind of work where we can sit alone in a corner all by ourselves and do our job very well. So what would you tell her about being nice versus being right? Well, I think in the legislature, there is no way that one legislator mm -hmm. can get anything done on their own. And I think that that is true in a lot of workplaces across our state and across the country, where in order to be able to be effective, you always need to be able to have a team that in which people know what their particular role is, where their strengths are recognized, and that people are in the right positions um, to be able to make sure that through collaboration, there can be real success on a project that is being worked on or in the legislature, a bill that will become a law. And I think that all of those moving pieces, when you think about what it takes to really see different goals come to fruition, that it is important that there are good relationships. I also think, though, that there are times where women shouldn't be worried about being assertive. And I think that, you know, sometimes we question ourselves a lot. You know, in politics, women oftentimes have to be asked to run for office multiple times before they will ever consider actually running for office. And I think that there's also an element that 
just because you speak your mind does not necessarily mean that you're not a team player Mm. um, or that there aren't times that you should have to do that. And in fact, one of the most powerful things that I think women can do in particular as we continue to see disparities in the workplace, and although there have been tremendous advancements of women rising to different positions of leadership, there's also still disparities that exist. And we need to promote a culture where women understand their worth and that women um, understand their power. And too often, we don't talk about knowing your power. Sometimes that is a very uncomfortable conversation for people to have in their communities to have with themselves um, about understanding what are your values? What are your strengths in the workplace? What do you bring to the table that really enable a team to be able to succeed? And I think there are times when having a clear understanding of that Mm. can also be very helpful to getting to the next level. It almost sounds like it's a challenging balance to strike, if you can even call it that, because sometimes people's feelings do get hurt, right? Assertive women piss people off every now and then. And that says more about those people than it does about the women who are being assertive. But that does put Christine and so many of our listeners in a tough spot. What do you do about trying to find that fine line and have you developed those skills along the way and can you remember a time when you felt like you really brought a team of diverse and maybe not so agreeable people together around an initiative and it has or hasn't worked like have you developed that muscle over the years and how might you advise other women to really proceed in finding that kind of strength and vision as a leader There's many things that one can do um, depending on what the goal and what the objective is. For me at the State House, I've definitely focused on trying to make sure that we are taking politics and partisanship out of the way of coming up with just outcomes as it relates to legislation that we have worked on. Mm-hmm. One of the great advancements that we had at this last legislative session was a transportation funding bill that there was a team of legislators, Republicans and Democrats, who worked on basically making sure that we are investing in roads and bridges and that we are organizing our roads, not just to move cars, but to move people for years to come in this state. And some have hailed the solution that we came forward with is that this has been the most that has been done for transportation funding in our state in a decade. And I think part of the success of being able to get to that point was the relationships and the synergies of people who were working on it, but also being willing to take on the tough questions, right? take on the tough issues and being willing to give and take when it was necessary to do so, to be able to get something done. You know, it is much easier to complain about what is not being done in politics. It is more difficult to have the courage to be able to lead and take on the tough issues. To the extent that I can, I encourage others 
to not just take on the issues that where there's a low hanging fruit, but think big and think bold about what our country should look like, what our state should look like for the next generation of leaders are going to be here. And sometimes when you go bold, you're not going to get everything that you want, but you're starting the conversation in a very different way. And you can accomplish a lot in the process. And I think it also inspires people who personally might not feel inspired to work together. (laughs) But when there's a clear, ambitious, bold end destination, and this is something that I I think Christine can really run with, when you keep your eye on the prize, you stay focused on the horizon line, all that politics, all those sort of comments and, and feelings and office politics or politics politics falls away when we can stay focused on our broader mission. But I want to underscore what you said earlier that, you know, there's a time to be nice and then there's a time to stand our ground and, and have clear boundaries because a time like that certainly arose in the state house over the past few years when leading with allegations made by Rep Faith Winter, who's a friend of the pod, Representative Steve Lebsock was basically ousted for accusations related to sexual harassment in the state house, which was validated by a few other members of the elective body. And you were in a position of leadership to make a decision at that point in time as to how to deal with the culture of sexual assault that's really plaguing so many of our workplaces, and especially the male dominated ones like the realm of politics. So what was your decision making process like when faced with that situation? And frankly, is that that wasn't a time to just think about being nice and making sure everyone's feelings were respected, but really creating some healthy boundaries for people of all genders and everybody to feel protected. We decided that we were going to take on the issue of sexual harassment head on and would work to reform the culture at the Capitol. It is so unfortunate that in the year 2018, that we are still having conversations around sexual harassment in the workplace. And women who want to be in politics should be able to do so without having to be subject to or endure inappropriate behavior. Women should be able to be evaluated based on their hard work, qualifications, and skills. And when this issue came up, I did ask Representative Lebsock to resign after it was clear that he had not stopped previous behavior that had arose. And there were also a variety of other allegations that happened at the Capitol against different legislators in the House and in the Senate as it related to harassment issues. I think moving forward, you know, we have an interim committee that is meeting now and we are looking at how do we make sure that there is no perception that politics could get in the way of a just outcome and that people feel comfortable coming forward to ask for help if they need it, mm-hmm. and that we continue to address these issues head on and ensure that there's systemic change. We need to see that. And when we think about what has happened with the Me Too movement and seeing people come out and talk about some of the issues 
that have impacted them for years in this country. We have so much more to do to make sure that women have the opportunity to be able to reach their full potential. And um, this is going to be one of the last tasks that I'm working on at the Capitol before I do pass over the gavel in January of 2019. And I am committed and dedicated to make sure that we see the change that we need there. And I love that. I want to underscore that that that's the kind of courageous leadership we need more of in all sectors of our workforce. Just to be clear, listeners, Speaker Duran is doing this after the final legislative body has already passed. She's making this an initiative. She's making this a priority, meeting with this committee at least five times before the end of your tenure here. So this is something we like to say here at Bostop that Bostop women lift as we climb, right? We make the world a better place. We bring other women up with us as we're striving for our own goals. And this is a perfect illustration of that, right? You've served your eight-year term. You've risen in the ranks as high as you can go in the state house, And you're still getting busy doing the work of making the place you're leaving behind better. I love that. I think that is a perfect illustration of why we need more women cleaning house. <laughs> Sometimes the state house. I guess I have one last question for you, which is what's next? Any bold plans on the horizon? I hope you're taking some time <laughs> off. I hope you're giving yourself a good break. <laughs> well, I did. I had a great vacation. Uh, after session ended, I went to Spain and Portugal and it was absolutely amazing. Um, it, it had been a while since I had taken a real vacation. So that was fantastic. And, you know, I love to travel. I, tr- I try and travel whenever I can. And then, you know, I'm thinking about what next steps are going to look like. I'm going to be teaching a class at the University of Colorado at Denver about Colorado politics. So I have a lot to share on that nice. topic. Um, so I'm looking forward to working with students and teaching in the classroom for a while. And then long term, I'm thinking about where I can be most effective. You know, it has been a labor of love to me to serve in the state house and even in the most challenging times to be able to make sure that we have representative government where people who come forward with good ideas, that we're able to take those ideas and, and listen to the struggles and challenges that people face every single day to be able to address those and problem solve and put it into legislation. It has just been an amazing experience. And I'm so thankful to anyone who has ever voted for me, whether it was to serve in the state house whether it was to a vote to become Speaker of the House, I am just humbled and honored that I've had this opportunity um, to be able to do the work that I've done the last eight years. And uh, we'll take a little bit of time and figure out what is going to be the place that I can be most effective uh, moving forward into the future. I know that one way or another, I'm going to continue to work to advocate mm-hmm. on a variety of different issues that impact people in this state. And I think it's more important than ever that we have people who are bringing forward some of those issues and making sure that there are results that are delivered on them. I love it. I love it. And the state is better off for that. So thank you so much for your service. And as someone who'd like to vote for you again in the future, (laughs) keep me posted on when I can finally cast my ballot. I missed her by one election. Uh, Well, thanks so much again for being here, Speaker Duran. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And now it's time for today's Boss Moves Moment of the Week. Hi, Emily. This is India from D.C. Calling. I have to report a Boss Move for not 
this week, but for this year, uh, thanks to your boss at boot camp, I've been negotiating like crazy this year. I was able to negotiate my salary. I negotiated my lease here in my apartment building, and I just finished negotiating my internet bill. So thank you so much for everything you're doing for us, the bosses. I really took away a lot of things out of your boss at boot camp, and 2018 is the year of me negotiating for everything. India, yes, I am cheering you on, boss. This is exactly what I hope to hear from all of our Bossed Up Bootcamp alums. Because Bossed Up Bootcamp isn't just about your salary, isn't just about your job. It's about negotiating and advocating and assertively crafting the whole life that you want. So I commend you on this boss move of the year and really taking those lessons to heart to craft a career and life that works better for you, boo. Honestly, being the boss of your life a lot of times means asking for what you want unapologetically, unabashedly, and seeing where that conversation takes you. And it seems like you have that on lock, India. So congratulations for making all these boss moves. And to those of you who are saying to yourself right now, you know what? I could use with a little less money to my rent each month, or I could use a little more money in my paycheck each month. Make the investment in you, boss, by heading to bossedup.org slash bootcamp and registering now for our upcoming Bossed Up Bootcamp weekends that we have coming up this September in DC and November in Los Angeles, California. Register now before we fill up because we are rapidly heading in that direction. And of course, I'll be announcing our 2019 Bossed Up Bootcamp dates and cities real soon. So make sure you're an email insider at bossedup.org now so you'll be the first to know where we're bringing bootcamp next. And for those of you who are thinking, I don't have enough money in my paycheck to make Bossed Up Bootcamp even possible, first and foremost, know that we have scholarships and three-month installment payments available to anybody who needs them. Just check out the FAQ section on the Bossed Up Bootcamp page, and we even wrote a proposal for you that you can just adjust and send to your boss to make the case as to why they should pay for you to go to bootcamp. I never want money to be a barrier to you getting bossed up with me, IRL, and our team of incredible expert trainers who are there to help you. Craft a happy, healthy, and sustainable career and life, whether it's talking about love and relationships or mindfulness and happiness or all that other stuff like assertive communication and negotiation and clarifying the vision for the life that you would love to live. I hope to see some of you there. And as a last call for those of you like me and Speaker Duran who are in the Colorado area, this Saturday I'm hosting in Denver a day-long training to boost your public speaking, curriculum development, and training skills. So if that sounds like something you'd like to learn more about, you should go through the program that all of my featured Bossed Up trainers have gone through. You can find the details in the links in today's show notes. It's at bossedup.org slash trainer team as well. And you got to hurry up and register now because it's coming up real quick on Saturday. But I do hope to see you IRL soon. And in the meantime, find all the details from today's show in the show notes at bossedup.org slash episode 38. And for more follow-up on today's episode, check out the show notes at bossedup.org slash episode 38. And as always, I want to hear from you, boss. What questions do you want us to tackle next? Or if you've got a boss move of the week or year like India to share, give my hotline a ring, girl, at 910-668-BOSS or 267 
Until next week, let's continue to pursue careers with purpose and lift as we climb. Let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.